fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another Fireside episode from Fantasy and Some Flights. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And tonight we're talking about kind of what we've been doing, just like every other Fireside episode. So I, I'm excited. Because, <laughs> I'm excited because I got I got a lot of stuff. I, I've I've you know narrowed it down throughout this last week to try and you know handpick kind of what I want to be talking about. So mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. to dive into it. I know we kind of like left some stuff off from our like previous book episode and kind of left it open i guess might be one way to say it so that we could have some topics to to cover tonight but we're also still kind of like catching up a little bit you know from our from our weeks off (laughs) absolutely yeah but before we dive into all of that we are drinking so dalton do you want to do you want to tell us what's on your flight tonight yeah i'm just kind of going back to um the whistle pig six year that we had a couple episodes ago yeah um it's a it's a solid rye it's tobacco-y it's spicy it's got a little bit of like leathery taste to it and I, I felt like I hadn't had it in a little while, so I was excited to kind of kind of break it back out. I did actually um, just this last week purchase two new whiskeys that were available in this area that have not been previously available. So, and I also have one beer, so I have like kind of like a backlog of things that you know I'm excited nice. to kind of get through. But for tonight, whatever for whatever reason, I, I was kind of feeling like going with something a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more familiar. So, um, if you remember the Whistle Pig. Uh, Ten Year is um, is one that that Nelson has had. Um, it's it's a really nice, uh, very famous. Um, whiskey got very popular for several different reasons, and so they they put out this piggyback um, rye as a six year cheaper option, more affordable, um, around like fifty, where the like regular whistle pig is a little bit more expensive. So, but I, I really enjoy this one. It's dark and it's a little young and it's a little uh, aggressive, you know. Um, <laughs> young, wild, and free. Young, wild, and free. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Really nice. <laughs> yeah, Snoop Dogg exactly. said it best. That's right. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yeah, cheers to that. <laughs> what about you? So I, I am drinking another beer from Georgia because I, I figured even though we don't live in Georgia, we have drank a lot of beers from Georgia. And I think that's mainly because of one of, uh, you know, the friend of the podcast, Amram, he likes to tell us about beers. And so this is one that I picked up when we went down to visit him a, uh, mm. a couple of weeks ago. This is Wild Leap is the brewery. It's located out of LaGrange, Georgia, and it's the Double Stuff Stout Cookies and Cream. Wow. Yeah, it is phenomenal. This is four tears easily for me. We actually (laughs) drank some, and then I went back to the liquor store to pick some up to bring home so I could have it on the podcast. Yeah. I'm I'm not usually a stout guy, but for whatever reason, this thing just tastes like a milkshake when, when I'm drinking it. Yeah. So, also... You know, I, I talked about a couple of episodes ago where I'm trying to do the low carb thing. If you're following along with that, this is not low carb <laughs> whatsoever. So I have if I it just has cookies and cream <laughs> in the title. It's not low carb, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I just got back from vacation, so this is my yeah. cheat week. So I'm sorry, Ryan. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I wanted to get this in. It's been in my fridge for a while, and I was like, well, I can't drink it because I'm doing this low carb thing. But you know, this is the time to do it. But it is pretty hefty. It's sitting at like a 12.5 APV. And so, oh goodness. so if I start to ramble on, just, you know, just like snap or something and cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call hey, it. Snap out of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, yeah. you know, it, it just feels nice. It feels good. It feels very unhealthy. I love it. So <laughs> <laughs> it sounds delicious. I love it. It, it is. I'd been thinking about, um, 
actually the flights section in preparation for this fireside episode. Although we don't like typically prepare a lot for fireside episodes, but um, I kind of realized um, because of a conversation that I was having with someone who is a listener on the podcast and they, I, I had mentioned like, Oh yeah, this, um, you know, this whiskey is made by like the same people who make this other whiskey. And I think it was heaven Hill. I think we were talking about um, the difference between yeah. Larceny and uh, Elijah Craig, both of which are made by heaven Hill, but Larceny being like a weeded whiskey, it just tastes very different. And they're like, oh, like I, you know, I just did like didn't know that. And I kind of realized that like bourbon whiskey, like history and kind of like who's who is something that we haven't like talked a lot about. Yeah. Um, so I thought it might be fun to just kind of like do a little bit of a highlight of um, some of the major people. Um, I would love that. And, yeah. Yeah. Just so, you know, just it's mostly like a terminology thing. But the other reason it's really helpful is if you do like a specific type of whiskey or not, sorry, not type of whiskey, but like if you like a specific whiskey, like tonight, we're going to talk about Sazerac. Um, and Sazerac uh, makes Buffalo Trace. Um, and a lot of people really like Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace has a very specific mash bill. A lot of times what they will do is they will use like kind of common mash bills, like a certain distillery. Um, and they'll just age it longer. Or they'll age it like if they're making small batch and they're kind of will make a lot from a specific uh, mash bill. Um, and then they'll take the um, kind of easy ones and they'll bottle it into something like Buffalo Trace, which is a really nice, but like relatively cheap whiskey. And then they'll hold the rest of those barrels and kind of like baby them along and they'll make nicer ones. Right. And so you can get things that are Buffalo Trace for in this example esque uh but just like kind of nicer but they'll have a different name right and so unless you if you didn't know that they were made by both were made by sazerac in this case you would like never know that like that they have the same like mash bill or whatever and that if you like buffalo trace and you wanted to spend a little bit more you might like this other whiskey right um and so there, there's a lot of like major uh obviously huge huge um distilleries there's also a lot of history specifically with buffalo trace um that has been a distillery that has been a long around for a very long time like a site that's been around for a very long time has changed hands a, a couple of times um, but since like the late 90s has been owned by sazerac and they kind of like promoted it into like what we know of it today but buffalo like or sazerac owns like like we said they own buffalo trace they also own the eh taylor line so you'll sometimes see that bottle as like colonel eh taylor has this really nice it actually looks like a scotch when you look at it because it has sort of like the cardboard circular like tube kind of thing that the whiskey comes oh okay in. yeah yeah. Um, but that's because like that distillery um was owned by e.h taylor at one point and so they they bottle that in kind of like in his name also george t stag which i see a lot of weller which is really common weller has like is, is another really big line that was kind of bought up by sazerac because they kind of started to expand into bourbon and whiskey and owns a lot it, like weller has a lot it has like basic weller and then it has like 12 year and it has like bottled in ponds and stuff and so it has like a lot of a lot of other things um 1792 you had that a couple episodes ago yeah i did that um, was that's good. owned by sazerac they also own at their like high end they own blanton's um, which we've talked about. It's the one that has like the stopper Real is expensive. like horses. Yeah, it's really expensive. It's on like my whiskey bucket list. Um, <laughs> but the like, like stoppers are like little horses. There's, uh, I think there's eight. And the only reason I know that is because it's like spells out Blanton's. Oh, okay. Like it spells out the name of it. And so there's eight letters in it. And so you can get like, like the stoppers that have like the different letters, like stamp it on it. And then the horses are in like different, like running positions. And it's supposed to, that's cool. Yeah. Like it's supposed to like kind of signify different stages of like a, of like a race, like the, like the Derby or something. That's really cool. And so, so I think this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So the, the mash that's created for Buffalo Trace, that is, that does not go into everything that Sazerac does. It doesn't go into all the Blantons. Right. That's just like, there are basically a line that come from the Buffalo Trace mash and Sazerac has multiple different kind of mash builds that they do. Yes. Yeah. They, they, and they will, that's a good, but they will call it a mash bill, like B-I-L-L, meaning like composition, basically like this mash recipe. 
like a bill of materials. Yeah, like a bill of materials. <laughs> right. Here come the engineers. Yeah, bill of materials. So if you like Buffalo Trace and you wanted to like step it up, Eagle Rare would probably be a good one to like go to. That um, sounds so badass. In the same. And it's a really pretty <laughs> bottle. It's actually been on one that I've been looking to try for a very long time and just like haven't like been able to find. Um, it's not like it's like super hard to find, but I think it was like I started to want it as I moved and I used I probably would have had an easier time finding it in Indiana and now I can't find it. Well, if I find it, I'll, I'll pick one up. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate yeah. that. I think I think that is under the limit that I can fly with, right? Yes. Like four <laughs> ounces or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, just if I'll just explain the situation and they'll be fine with it. Right, exactly. This is really (laughs) important. And then if you really want to like step your game up, they also make um, one of our favorites. uh, Sazerac makes Fireball whiskey. Boo! Um, (laughs) Now I'm going to have a hangover tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. Oh man, whiskey in quotations. You know, I drank so much Fireball that I like even thinking about it right now. I just can't. It hurts. It hurts my soul. Yeah. I need some water. Hold on. And you do need to be careful with Sazerac because they do make a lot of like low end things. They also make like the 99 line. Like they own that. You know, it's so, like 99 banana or whatever. Like it's red balloons. 99 red balloons. Yeah. Um, no, it's like <laughs> it's it's like a spirit line that's just like really cheap flavored vodkas and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's at 99 proof. Um, so like they they make stuff that's like definitely at the lower end. Um, so you have to be careful with what you buy, but usually when they have bought something like the Buffalo Trace Distillery, which was like kind of established, they're basically just adding in like their resource pool and their marketing pool um, to kind of like promote something like that, right? Um, they also you, have yeah. access to the to the Van Winkle line. So one of the one of the Cadillac, or not even Cadillac, that's not even nice enough, like Maseratis of the whiskey <laughs> world. It's so fancy. Yeah, I have never, I, I don't think I've ever even heard of it. That's how fancy it is. Pappy Van Winkle? Pappy. Okay, I've heard of Pappy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, people will call it Pappy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Pappy. That makes a lot more Pappy sense. Van Winkle. Van Winkle sounds very fancy, though. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kentucky fancy. In that yeah. It's fancy at the end, but then there's a word like Pappy at the front. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh no. Yeah. That. So anyway, yep. I, I don't know, know why I decided to start with Sazerac. I think just because it has like these like varied like realms that it like reaches into mostly because they've done so much purchasing of existing distilleries but um i had also like i'd seen a bottle of buffalo trace and i was like i don't know let's let's start with sazerac so yeah you can just it's very easy you can pop on and just kind of like google you know look at their whiskey line and then you can start to dive in and figure out like which bills go together and so if you like a specific whiskey you can kind of just go like if it follows a specific mash or specific mash bill then you're you can kind of conclude i would probably like this other one if i wanted to kind of like step into mid-tier from low tier or something like that so or mid-shelf from low shelf no, I, I, I love this topic. I hope that we get to hear more about different distilleries in the future. And I guess yeah. like one of my one of my questions, I guess one of my last questions that I have is like if, if you do come from the same mash bill, do you get the same flavors or are they going to taste different? Is the higher one going to be just like more refined? You can pick out the flavors a little bit easier or how does that how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if you remember from like the whiskey episode, we would say that like roughly 40% of the flavor of a whiskey comes from the mash bill the other 40 percent coming from barreling and then the other 20 percent coming from like yeast and water kind of combined gotcha okay um, and so you know that they are going to be probably like similar they're going to be in the same like flavor categories but they you know just like how this like six-year piggyback or the six-year whistle pig tastes very different than the 10-year whistle pig right there a lot can happen in barreling and a lot will happen based on how they handle the barrels right so I guess that's how I would answer the question. It will feel like it's in the same category, but it will be a, a, a different, more refined is one way to think of it, um, but also potentially just a different flavor profile. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I'm, I'm going to transition us to talk still a little bit about 
um, I guess whiskey or distilling. But mm-hmm. I, I played a board game here recently called Distilled. And so, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So okay. Dis- I'm, I, if you didn't bring this up, I was going to be specifically asking you about <laughs> yeah. it because I know you played this game and I want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Distilled is a game that is currently on Kickstarter. So as of this release, there will still be about a week left where the Kickstarter is live. So I think you still have some time to go and back it. But we got sent a review copy um, from Paverson Games. So thank, thank you for sending us that. And uh, the theme is awesome, right? <laughs> so it's Distilled. <laughs> um, but it, it's kind of a... It, it was described as a push-your-luck type resource management game. And I think that is almost exactly what it was. Like, it, it they nailed that description perfectly. So okay. in, in Distilled, you are running a distillery trying to make different types of alcohol from around the world. You have to buy your ingredients. You have to then take those ingredients, put them into your mash. You shuffle up your mash, and basically you remove cards, and then you reveal what cards are left and that kind of determines what you have distilled at that point and so that's kind of the push your luck mechanism is you have to put in the right ingredients and hope that you don't remove them like hope they haven't been washed out um during during that gotcha. whole distilling process and then you can either age the uh, the spirit that you have created it's not just whiskey so you can do moonshine vodka different spirits from around the world you can you can age it or immediately sell it you get to kind of decide what barrel it goes in, which can change the quality, how much you can sell it for, victory points and money, and also nice. like what type of bottle you can put it in. So it's it's a really interesting like game. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my second play of it. Um, <laughs> the, the first yeah. play, I lost by like 50%, and I did not know why. <laughs> like, oh, that's uh, nice. Yeah, the second game was a lot closer, and... Um, which made it a lot better because we kind of understood the rules. We were we were able to get through it a little bit easier. It was a really it was a really interesting game. It was a really fun game. You got to like do like all of your distillery upgrades. So like I had like a drone that was able to copy like one of the upgrades from my opponent. But we were also able to kind of learn about how you make all of these different uh, spirits from around the world. And it was just kind of fun. One of the downsides I would say because I don't want to say that it was you know the greatest game ever. But I think one of the downsides is that when you pull your cards out of the out of the distill or like when you go through like the distill phase, and you have to like pull two cards from that from your stack of cards that you've shuffled up. If you pull like a key ingredient, it can really hurt, which like it's kind of fun um, because it's kind of like, you you know, you're sitting there. It's like, oh, no, I can't pull this. But when you do pull it, it kind of hurts. Really wasn't fun the first game when it was like an hour and a half long game. Oh, yeah. But I think once you get the rules down, it will be a sub-hour long game. And at that point, I think it's much more manageable in the sense of, okay. oh, okay, cool, like whatever, right? <laughs> because when, whenever you pull, you, you will always be able to distill something, right? You may not be able to distill what you were looking for, but you're always going to be able to do at least like moonshine um, in which you can sell <laughs> and profit from. That's because any literally anyone can make moonshine. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's the one where like if you pull out all of your sugars, you get moonshine, which I think is hilarious. But it but sounds it, like they did a really good job with like the theming, like matching dude, the, the, the theming into the mechanics. Yeah, the theming was really awesome. I, I I enjoyed the mechanics a lot. I think that it was awesome. I think if we, as we play it more, we could get it under that sub hour, and I think that would be right there in that sweet spot, kind of like um, yep. almost like a substitute for quacks type thing like that it filled that kind of kind of that same space yeah did it feel like like quacks is like luck is very central the push your luck mechanic is very central right like to the point where like when you lose quacks you're kind of like meh 
you know, like, I, I yeah, know, so yeah, yeah. kind of fine. Did it feel like luck was kind of that prominent or like forward in, in the game? Not, not as much as quacks. I think it was a much more strategic game than quacks. My, like my mechanic rating would be much higher for uh, maybe not much. My mechanic rating would be higher for distilled than quacks. Like I, there's a lot more okay. resource management, a lot more interesting decisions because like if you're trying to distill something, um, there are certain types of sugars you cannot put into the mash. And at that point, like you have to strategically choose what ingredients you're buying, what ingredients you're managing. And so it's it's a lot more strategically driven. I think that bad luck hurts you a lot more in distilled than it does quacks. So Okay. Yeah. yeah one one of the one of the heartache things from distilled is that like you consume all the ingredients every single time you make something. And so if you've bought this really expensive ingredient and then you've pulled something oh, out yeah. and you aren't able to make the high end recipe and you end up making like a vodka, you lose that ingredient and you have to go find yeah. it again. Which hurts but it's like again it's it's a shorter game and you can mitigate that a lot right because you can okay. if you need two grains you can put four grains in there and guarantee that you're going to make it but at, at that point like you're you're using all your grains and so maybe next round it's going to be a little bit harder so that's where the push gotcha. your luck kind of pulls in or comes in it was just such a cool theme the artwork is great components yep. are really cool so it, it was it was really interesting. I highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, I'm excited to try it. I, I know that it was one that was on the list to be tried at this previous uh, game night, and it didn't get pulled out just the way that like things kind of kind of shook out. But uh, but I'm hoping to you know either either next month or maybe we just put put together a one off game because I think for me as I sit here sipping my whiskey, right there's a, there's yeah. a very <laughs> obvious draw to just to yeah. the theme of the game, which is unusual for me to be honest. Like yeah, but I think I just really want to like engage with the game for that reason yeah yeah absolutely i like usually like you just said components don't really necessarily have a huge weight for me and i think that they do more so in distilled because the components and the mechanisms blend together so well right it's not a pace it on yep. theme it feels like the components and the mechanics in the game were designed with each other in mind and i thought that gotcha. was really cool awesome yeah i'm excited for it yeah i'm excited i'm i'm excited to play it again <laughs> like like now I've played it twice now and like just kind of playing it you start to see more of the cards you start to understand a little bit more of the strategies there were, yeah. there were some cool like things that I was like oh like things started clicking for me and I think it's yeah. a little it's a more strategic game than what you realize in your first couple of plays uh yeah but yeah so that that's kind of what I've been playing recently I've been playing some more stuff but you know that'll, that'll be a teaser for next episode have you yeah. uh, have you been reading or playing anything recently? Yeah, I just started a new book. I was inspired by you actually because <laughs> you have been reading physical books. Whoa! And okay. So I decided to read a physical book. Oh my! Let gosh. me tell you, it is exhausting. It is so much slower. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much slower, and I have to sit there and pay attention to it instead of just like doing other things and listening in right? the background. Yeah, I tried um, like mowing my grass while reading, and my lines are all screwed up. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been reading Wool by Hugh Howie, and I okay. so far have no idea why it's called Wool. Like it's oh, wool, like cool. sheep okay. wool or whatever. Um, just W O O L. And so, and this is a book I actually had heard about a couple times from a couple of different people, um, and I saw it in a bookstore, and so I was like, well, I'll pick that up and see, um, see how I like it. Um, it reminds me, not in like storyline or anything, but in the way it's written, it reminds me of. Um, Hyperion, which I don't think you read. I did not know. Um, but Hyperion was a story that was told from like six characters, six or seven characters' perspectives, um, but like one at a time. So not written like, not written like, uh, 
you know, Stormlight Archives or some of these other ones, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Song of Ice and Fire that have kind of the limited third per- third person limited that we like where it shifts between different characters. It was more like a diary entry or something by like a single character um, who's telling their part of the story. Um, That's cool. Or kind of describing a part of what's going on um, just from their perspective and then it, and then it shifts um, to somebody else. Um, so it feels kind of like a collection of short stories, um, but like written about the same thing, but at least so far, I'm actually, um, I will say, I'm speaking of this, but I'm very early in the book. I'm only through like the first story and now like into the second one. So the second one picked up at the end of the first story. So it is like a continuous like storyline. It's not necessarily like iRobot or something. That's just like a collection of short stories, but it does. It was, it was enough to feel like the arc of a single character within like 40 pages. Um, and then it moved on. Right. And now it's, Oh, like cool. Okay. Character. Yeah. Um, so that part I really enjoyed and the world building is kind of the idea is that, the story is happening within what they call a silo. Think like a missile silo or something. And it's sort of post-apocalyptic. Like something has happened that hasn't been explained yet where if you go outside, you like die. And so everyone's kind of, kind of like that's rough. trapped in the, I know that's, that's a rough take. Um, <laughs> so everyone's kind of like trapped. Kind of how within, I feel, honestly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly just cause it's hot <laughs> and I'm a baby. But yeah, so the, the story is kind of humanity existing like only within this, silo and they can't go outside so how does their society kind of like work under that you know there's like a lottery for like who could have children and who can't and there's um explanations of like how food work but they're kind of the world building is done in like little bits as it's like being told through this character's um perspective so you'll get like a sentence of world building that has to be like really carefully worded as something that um, the character might think or might say or might observe in what's going on um that gives you hints as to how the world works but without That's just so like cool. paragraphs and paragraphs of text. Of yeah. like, here's yeah, how yeah. my entire world is built. Um, so some really clever writing so far. I'm really enjoying that part. I'm enjoying kind of the structure of it, of like getting involved in this character, like get a, get a kind of a quick arc, like the, the you know, kind of that quick resolution and that, and that quick reward for like the reading. It keeps like the reader very involved. Um, and then it moves on to another one, but it's not, again, this collection of short stories where it feels like you're just like hitting the reset button every time, right? Again, so far I've only gone through one shift, but it just picked up where the last character's story kind of left off and so Uh, there's a lot of questions so (laughs) oh i'm sure i'm sure so are at least the two characters that you have they're in the same silo like all is all of humanity in one silo i don't know if it's all of humanity or not but at least the entire perspective of the story yeah yeah that's that's a good way to put it it's at least told like this is their entire world oh okay Um, i don't know if they know if like other silos exist or if this is the only one i really don't know yet that's super interesting i Yeah. yeah i've been like recently i'm like i need a new I I need a apocalyptic book, and so oh, this, you've is, been this is yeah I've been itching so that's really cool. I like Good. that narrative style. I think that's cool because it also like when you're siloed, it's almost like you know the literal metaphor. Like you feel siloed into one yeah one thing, and right, so you're only viewing it through one character's perspective. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really cool literary device to do that. How, how big is the silo? Like how many people are living in this thing? Yeah, that's a little hard to tell. Like the two characters so far are that the story is being told from their perspective. It's been the, like the sheriff and the mayor. Like it, so, it's written as if it's one town. If that makes sense. Oh, okay, um, I got you. But there are also like from the mayor's perspective, she's like there are faces she doesn't recognize. You know, so it's at least like large enough. And they talk about like levels, like they go down levels. You know, gotcha. Yeah. And it seems like each level might be like kind of neighborhood level. Oh, okay. of, and yeah, then yeah. there's like you know I, I don't know how many but how, how many levels there are yet I don't think that's been like explicitly described but she at least talked about going down like 20 levels and that took oh, her okay. like yeah um, that's big 
like over an hour or something just yeah. to like physically walk walk down the spiral <laughs> staircase kind of thing. That's interesting. I'm excited to hear more about this because it's very intriguing yeah. to me. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. I know that this, I think it was actually a collection of like he had kind of started writing them as short stories and then kind of continued and, and ended up kind of like releasing this as like a book, you know, um, so that you had like the first like five or six or something short stories. So like, because it's called like the Silo series. Oh, okay. Um, so like, for instance, the first short story was actually originally titled Wool. And then he like later pulled them together with, I think, three or four other like novellas and published it as a novel under the same name. Uh, oh, okay. Like Wool. Okay. Um, so now if you go to like buy it or you find it, like that's probably what it is. It's like the five, four or five, like first, you know, couple. Um, but I think overall, I think there are like three books total. I don't know how many like short stories that equals, but I think there's like three releases in like the series. Um, cool. But again, this is very new to me. I'm not actually sure if it's like going to continue <laughs> from there, if, it, if the plot's yeah. ongoing. I, I don't really know. Um, yeah, I just know you, that like kind of the, the amount that I have interfaced with it so far. Yeah. And you said like the, at least the first narrative was about 40 pages. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so like it's like 40, 45 really bite-sized. Like, like you get a lot of cool, like shorter stories. That's cool. I yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the reason I've been kind of like wanting this apoc- apocalyptic like fix is uh, my wife and I have started watching Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Have, have you watched yeah. this? I've watched parts of it um, because my, my my girlfriend really likes Handmaid's Tale. So she's like up to date on it like at all times. Okay. Um, and I've just like kind of watched. I, so I know the story. I know the background and everything. But yeah, but yeah go ahead. Yeah. So we're almost done with season two i'm actually not sure how many seasons are out but it, it doesn't really matter but basically it is kind of this post-apocalyptic world where um like there's been a disease where people have a really hard time having babies and so like these handmaids who are still fertile are uh used as conduits for important people's babies it's kind of screwed up but um yeah it's, it's screwed up <laughs> it is very screwed up it's it's a really interesting world and mainly like it, it's kind of like this fringe fantasy sci-fi thing so it's it's not like necessarily in our core but what i wanted to talk about and this is specifically talking about the tv show not the book is that the narrative structure is really interesting because it's told through kind of this first person or like there there is a main character and as the TV show goes on, like she goes through like bouts of sanity, and like when she is more sane, she has more of a men or like an inner dialogue. And I thought that was a really cool way to kind of do narrative structure in a TV yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then like it's because it's told from her perspective, they also use a lot of cinematics to do that, where like a lot of the shots are kind of only what June sees, the main character sees, and. Like it'll pan, like the shots will like pan with her, and just it reminded me very much of like Breaking Bad in like mm-hmm. that sense of it's a very beautifully shot show. It was just like it's really cool, and then also the character development I think is phenomenal in in, in this where kind of yep. what we were talking about with like Game of Thrones, you go from hating to love to really liking to hating characters, like episode <laughs> to episode, and I I just think yeah. that like the character development is just really well done and so if that sounds interesting to you kind of this post-apocalyptic kind of thing i would highly recommend um handmaid's tale which is on hulu right now we we've just been binging that so so <laughs> and that's a book as well if i remember right it is it is my my wife is traveling this weekend so i i'm you know, struggling <laughs> not, not watching it while, yeah while you're kind of itching so. for it 
Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that's kind of funny because we actually went through a phase years ago before the podcast of like we read a ton of like post-apocalyptic books. Yeah, we really right? did. We read like the Silo series for one. Right? Yep. Which is kind of funny talking about like wool. And yeah. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like we were really in really into that. Yeah. It, uh, um, the Warded Man is kind of in that same vein. It feels yep. kind of it feels kind of like in a post-apocalyptic type type thing. Um, yep. The fifth the, wave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the fifth wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was also a really cool, like, concept and world building, right? Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with that one, just a, like a, a brief high level, it was that there were, like, basically these, like, uh, these waves of almost like play, like the plagues or whatever, but, like, apocalyptic events. And the fourth one had, like, happened, and humanity was kind of, like, waiting for the fifth wave to come. So they're kind of, like, between these, like, huge apocalyptic events. Um, and it's kind of a story of, like, how um, people are, like, how their lives work and how they're trying to survive and everything, like, kind of in that setting. So a really, really cool concept for, for a series. It, it felt, it was kind of, I think, maybe riding, like, the hype out of, like, Hunger Games, right? Where that, <laughs> yeah, like, it had, feels had very this, similar to that. For sure, yeah, that it's a uh, protagonist of like a, f- a female protagonist of kind of the same age and everything, and yeah, a, l- a lot of similarities there. But I don't remember a lot about the fifth wave. It's been a while, but I do remember that the fifth wave was the first time that I noticed the work of fiction, the fifth wave, referencing Star Wars, another work of fiction, mm. um, <laughs> and how meta that was. And Handmaid's Tale just did that. So Handmaid's Tale reference oh, yeah. Star Wars. So that fiction has made it so far into our society that it's being referenced in other works <laughs> of fiction. And like that just blows my mind. Like that that's insane to me. But anyways, I I'm sure I've brought that up before and I'll bring it up again because I, I'm just fascinated by that. <laughs> <laughs> the success stories that is yeah. Star Wars. More apocalyptic stuff. We're really cheery people here at Fantasy and some flights. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs> well, uh, to keep this cheery train going, do you want to hop into a icebreaker? Yeah, I would love to do an icebreaker. So our next episode is all going to be about virtual game nights or virtual gaming, because you know we're we're now like at least 25 miles apart from each other. Um, I haven't yeah. really done the math. <laughs> <laughs> it's I at least 25. You're right. Yeah, but a lot of the gaming that we do now is virtual or all of the gaming that we do now is virtual, I guess is the better way to say that because it's very hard to play physical games with you at this point. So we wanted to do kind of a topic about virtual games, kind of what we like, what we dislike, things that tips, tricks, and all of that. So just an episode all about Specifically like games games that have really good like virtual implementations. Yeah. would be a big part of that. So to to lead us into that, Dalton, I think you have an icebreaker prepared for us. Is that correct? Yeah, just to get just to get us kind of thinking about, especially I think since we host like a virtual game night, I wanted to talk a little bit about game nights because they're kind of a almost like a like a meme or a joke within like, right yeah um, within like board game communities communities because it feels like everybody has one and everybody has different experiences with one right. So what are some things that you enjoy about game nights, and what are some problems uh, that come up with just the structure of the of game nights. Okay, yeah. Are, are these specifically talking about physical or virtual or kind of both? Yeah, I think I probably thought about it in the context of like physical ones because that's like what we yeah. are most okay. maybe familiar with. So maybe maybe kind of focus there at first. Yeah, so I... <laughs> okay, well, in order to not turn this into a three-hour topic, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can bullet point some of these because I both... I, I, 
I was about to say I both really love and hate game nights, but that is not true. I, I love game nights. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like a game night when you're gathering together in person, which is starting to happen more, which is, which is really yeah. exciting. I, I love the fact, or I, I love multiple facets. I think my favorite part is just gathering together with my friends, right? Like yeah. it, it gives an excuse to gather together in person, which is always great. But like outside of that kind of obvious answer, I think I would, <laughs> I would talk about, I almost enjoy the process of choosing games as much mm. as playing the games, yeah. <laughs> trying to find a game that works for everybody, trying to find, you know, okay, cool, we can do this, then we're going to do a filler, and then maybe like a social deduction game to end out the night or something like that, yeah. and try and like map out the whole game night and what, you know, what that trajectory is going to look like to try and, you know, please everybody. Because like, I, I have friends that they don't want to play you know, heavy work replacement games. It's like, okay, right. they're coming over for game night, I'm not going to pull out Agricola. Uh, so trying to figure out and like plan that I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. I feel like I really enjoy the, just the opportunity to like try new, new games. Right. I think most of the time people are coming into like those game nights and they're like looking to either like learn a game or like teach a game that they really like and like get people involved with it. Um, so it's like, it's this opportunity to have this like huge exposure to like everybody's like library of games. You know, it feels like every time we do a physical game night like people are just bringing like bags and backpacks and yeah. just <laughs> jumping it out on the table and everyone's like standing around like okay we have more <laughs> board games than people <laughs> yeah. we can play three games tonight and we have 46 so right <laughs> we have some choices to make yeah yeah and, and there's that like excitement of like oh like you brought like puerto rico like i've always yeah. wanted to try puerto rico or whatever you know and, and trying to like kind of get a group together for it so that kind of brings me to like the downside which is like the teach right it feels like you go to <laughs> yeah. board game nights and you spend over 50 percent of the time with somebody just explaining rules to board games you know yeah and that can be difficult because there are people that are better than at explaining rules than other people right and so yeah when you, when you get someone that's difficult in explaining rules that that can also be kind of hard but on True. the flip side of that one of my favorite things is having someone explain rules to me of a game that they are passionate about because you can feel that excitement, <laughs> feel that feel that enjoyment. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like this game, but I know I'm going to have a good time because they love this game. I, I agree that, you know, it's like with all the time spent explaining rules, could we have played another game? So, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like if you're going to do that, though, like if you're going to complain too much, if I'm going to complain too much about the teach, then it's like I need to set up a game night to play specific games, right? Like I need to be like, oh, let's all get together on this night and play blank, right? That we're going to play almost like kind of competitively. Because that's another thing is like, I think game nights are almost inherently like less competitive, you know? Or they, they feel like low competitive because yeah. it's like we know, we, un we expect that people are going to be coming in and like playing this for the first time. So we're going to do it for like the experience. We're going to do it to like have fun together. We're going to do it to like enjoy everyone's company and drink some beers or whatever, order some pizza, you know, like it's not going to be like, Hey, we're here to like, like what, <laughs> what I do with some of my friend groups where I, uh, you know, it's like, we're here to like kick each other's asses and try out yeah. Ethereum. Like, Blood that's makes what the grass grow. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There has to be kind of that level of like the correct expectation, I guess the, the right level of understanding. Nothing is less fun than coming in, learning a game and then, the person teaching it that's played it 25 times just stomp you into the ground. Right. right? <laughs> well, that that was cool, I guess. And so I, right. I guess to kind of combat that, like if you are the teacher of the game, 
um, something that I have I have tried is try out like fringe strategies, try out like the non-dominant strategy, right? If you're running Dominion and you're playing with all new people, don't play the big money epic strategy. Try out some right. of those like crazy, like weird action cards that got put into the set or something like that. And so yeah, that, that's, that's a, a way point. to kind of counteract that a little bit. I always just try and try to do funky things in games. And so that, that, <laughs> that's fun for me. Um, and like, I'm okay losing when I'm doing that because it's like, yep. okay, cool. Like I know people enjoy winning more than I do. And so it's, but it's also kind of fun to try out this like, Ooh, what if I try, you know, the mass strategy in Taylor to walk and maybe that that'll be cool. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Especially because if somebody is playing for the first time and, and they can get to the end and it was competitive between like them and another new player and you, then they're like, Oh, okay. Like, I did well and like Nelson like knows this game really well. Like then all of a sudden it's like this really rewarding experience for them. Um, and by extension, like for you, I think for me to like combat that, um, I will generally try to put myself on like a mental clock, almost like a, ch- a mental chess timer. Oh, know? okay. Yeah. Where like I spend most of my time trying to watch what other people are doing and making sure that there's not a misunderstanding of the, like it's always so disappointing when there's a misunderstanding of the rules. Right? Oh yeah. Like, that is so You take that so personally. Like it was my yeah. job to teach you. I really feel like I failed you. If you had known this, you would have done things differently, but there's no way to fix it. Like I'm just, you know, and, and so I try to really try to get ahead of that and be like, Hey, you know, make sure that you understand that there's this other option to you available to you that, or, Hey, I see what you're trying to do. This might be a better, you know, more efficient way to do that or whatever. Um, I spend a lot of my time then kind of like looking at what I think other players are doing and trying to do. And then when it gets to my turn, try to like take something really quick and just like do something, you know, kind of rely on like my instincts of the game. If I do know it really well. Um, so that I'm not like sitting there and like thinking on other people's turns. Cause that's what I will tend to do. You know, I like plan out on other people's turns and then I like have this well thought out move. I'm like trying to specifically like avoid having well thought out moves. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. take my turn. Yeah. You're trying to kind of guide the people through as they're playing with you. Right. This conversation makes me really miss like <laughs> in-person game nights, you know? Fine. Just, I'll come over. You, my game nights one-on-one with you have a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I am thinking more specifically though of like, you know, the, like you were saying the 10 or 12 person game nights of like, Oh, is anybody interested in this? And a couple of people are like, Oh, I'd, like, I'd play that. And, you know? And so then like, you know, three or four tables kind of get broken out and just, and again, there's pizza and Doritos in the corner and like, yeah. that type yeah. of thing. It's a, it's a really rewarding thing of our, of our hobby. Yeah. We, we are, are like, I, I have been fortunate enough to be able to host kind of like a, almost a weekend event mm-hmm. where people come over and we have three tables of games an awesome feeling that i had was i was not playing the game but just like walking through kind of the house and seeing everybody enjoying and playing different games i was like this is cool like this yeah this is great. special this is something that i really enjoy and it was just like i don't know and then it's like okay cool like we all get to make food and like have tacos and it's like so right, <laughs> right. everyone's happy when tacos come out so Every, everyone loves tacos. <laughs> everyone loves tacos. So yeah, I wanted to ask that question just to kind of frame up our, our conversation uh, next week. I think we'll be talking more specifically about like how the game night works in a virtual space. Um, so, you know, don't want to like spoil that too much right now, but just kind of like prep, just kind of prime the engine a little bit, you know, just yeah. kind of get those, get those juices flowing and get, get thinking about it because it, it can be done, but it has different pluses and minuses. Right. So we'll kind of talk through, um, I guess exactly what those challenges and what those benefits are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I think that's going to probably wrap us up for the yeah. ice pr- or that that's going to wrap us up for this fireside episode. It was great talking with you. If you want to reach out to us and kind of talk about some of the, the pros and cons of game nights, uh, we're going to be posting those icebreakers. So you can respond to that on our Instagram. We'll be putting those in our stories or on our discord. 
uh, you can find that on our website. It's going to be a logo on the top right. So go ahead and connect with us. We love talking with you, and we look forward to hearing your responses and reading them out on our next episode. But until then, cheers, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>